Historians generally agree that humans have only been practicing agriculture for about 10,000 years, and built the first civilizations just five or 6,000 years ago. However, the monumental complex of Gobekli Tepe in modern-day Turkey has been dated to almost 10,000 BCE, or nearly 12,000 years ago. It's the world's first example of a monumental structure built by hunter-gatherers, and features stonework previously thought to be well beyond the capabilities of such a loosely organized society. The excavation is ongoing, but it's already rewriting the story on humanity's transition to agriculture and the birth of civilization. We owe the discovery of Gobekli Tepe to the excavation of Navali Chori, a similar Neolithic site in the Urfa region. The city of Urfa, also called Sanli Urfa, was a major hub of the ancient world, having been conquered by numerous civilizations over the years, including the Akkadians, Babylonians, Hittites, Macedonians, Byzantines, and Arabs. However, it's clear that the site has been inhabited since prehistoric times. It lies in the northern reaches of Mesopotamia, one of the so-called cradles of civilization, where most of the events in the Old Testament took place. The medieval philosopher Maimonides and the Roman historian Josephus both claim that Urfa was in fact Ur of the Chaldees, the birthplace of the biblical figure Abraham. Navali Chori was set to be flooded by the construction of the Ataturk Dam, so the Turkish government hired a team of archaeologists from the University of Heidelberg in Germany to have it excavated in 1983. The team unearthed a large rectangular outer structure, subdivided into smaller enclosures, one of which was completely unique to archaeologists. It had T-shaped pillars around the walls, all interconnected by a wraparound bench, as it was called, and a pair of T-shaped pillars in the center. Navali Chori was flooded in 1991, but one of the archaeologists on the team, Klaus Schmidt, searched for similar settlements in the region. Gobekli Tepe, meaning pot-bellied hill in Turkish, was the name given to a cluster of artificial mounds northeast of Urfa. At 770 meters above sea level, the apex of the site is the highest point in the Jermis Mountains. The mounds had long been known to locals, but first came to the attention of the academic community in 1980, when Peter Benedict published a summary of his survey work in Anatolia dating back to the early 1960s. Benedict noted that the hillsides of Gobekli Tepe were covered in flint artifacts, and that there were slabs of limestone protruding from the tops of the hills that he believed were tombstones. Klaus Schmidt was already working on his own survey of the region when he read Benedict's report, and visited Gobekli Tepe for himself in 1994. With his knowledge of Navali Chori, he was able to identify these so-called tombstones as the tops of T-shaped pillars. Schmidt got funding from the German Research Foundation to lead an excavation of the mounds in 1995. His team began a one-acre dig that covers only about 5% of the total site and continues to this day. In Schmidt's words, archaeologists could dig here for another 50 years and barely scratch the surface. Schmidt's team divided the site into three different layers based on their stratigraphy, or their relative elevations. Layer 1 designates the sediment in which the site was buried, which was anomalous in itself, as it was composed of mostly fragments of flint, limestone, and bones, with only a smattering of earth. Stranger still, the ground that covered the site did not get older as the team dug deeper, 
suggesting that Gobekli Tepe had been suddenly buried, probably deliberately, in up to 3 meters of sediment between 7 and 8,000 BCE, or 9 or 10,000 years ago, so everything at the site is at least that old. Layer 2 designates the highest level of the ruins, and the most recently constructed, while Layer 3 denotes the lowest, oldest structures, four or five mostly ovular enclosures containing large monolithic pillars. Excavators have so far unearthed eight major enclosures at Gobekli Tepe, each identified by a letter signifying its place in the sequence of discovery. Layer 3 includes enclosures A to D, located at the main excavation in the southeastern depression, as well as enclosure H in the northwestern quadrant, and enclosure E on the western plateau. Enclosures A to D range from 10 to 20 meters in diameter, and with the possible exception of enclosure A, which so far appears more rectangular, are all ovular in shape. The excavation has not yet reached the floors in enclosures A and H, but the floors in C and D are carved from the bedrock itself, and competently smoothed. The floor in B is a lime and clay terrazzo that's been artificially burnt and polished. In the center of enclosures A, B, C, D, and H are two monolithic limestone pillars carved in the shape of a T. The largest of these pillars in enclosure D weigh 8 to 10 metric tons each and stand about 5.5 meters or 18 feet tall. The pillars in enclosure C and D stand on pedestals carved from the bedrock floor. Rings of smaller monolithic T-shaped pillars line the walls of these enclosures. Each of these pillars weighs several tons and stand around 4 meters tall. All pillars at the site were quarried from the surrounding plateau and are of a very hard crystalline limestone. We don't know how the builders moved the pillars, but they left one at the quarry that weighs an estimated 50 metric tons. Perhaps they couldn't move it. Enclosure C has three consecutive walls in places, all of various heights, as well as two rings of pillars. A bench runs along the inner mantle of the interior wall, similar to the enclosure at Navali Chori. Though there are no walls, benches, or pillars at enclosure E, it's considered to be contemporaneous with the other layer 3 enclosures because of the level bedrock floor and pedestals. Geomagnetic surveys, including ground-penetrating radar, proves that there are as many as 15 or 20 of these ovular layer 3 enclosures still hidden underground. Layer 2 features two distinct types of architecture, likely from two different periods. What the excavators have called Layer 2A refers to a network of densely packed, small rectangular structures with lime plaster floors. These structures, some of which are thought to be domiciles, were clearly built many centuries after Layer 3, as they sit at a higher level. Some of them also contain a few simple, mostly undecorated pillars that are no taller than 2 meters, and clearly inferior to the ones on Layer 3. One of the more puzzling aspects of the site, and something that it shares with many ancient sites around the world, is that the scale, complexity, and workmanship is at its zenith in the oldest layer of the architecture, then deteriorates over time. One would expect the world's first monumental site to progress in the opposite direction, or towards more developed skills and workmanship. 
Layer 2B refers to two enclosures, called F and G, built well after Layer 3, but probably before the rest of Layer 2. They are smaller than enclosures A to D, with smaller pillars. The most recent evidence points to yet another potential phase of construction. There are simple C-shaped or ovular enclosures, some subdivided by an interior wall, that lack any of the interior features of the other spaces. These buildings may be contemporary to, or even older than the monumental structures on Layer 3. Excavators have found a range of other structures and artifacts at the site, including carved channels and cisterns for collecting rainwater, a number of grinding stones, a small totem pole as it's been called, and several carved human heads that appear to have once belonged to life-size statues. The team has also found a few so-called porthole stones, like this 3-meter slab found on the northwestern hilltop, or this one embedded in the wall at Enclosure B. Strangely, many of the enclosures at Gobekli Tepe have no obvious entrances. The ring around the first wall of Enclosure C, for example, is accessible by a floor-level entrance, but there is no opening to the inner chamber, where the largest pillars are. However, many of the excavators believe that the entrances ran through some kind of a roof that has since been destroyed or removed. It's thought that the porthole stones may have been involved in the original entrances. Gobekli Tepe was dated primarily by tool typology, or comparing the tools found in the sediment to similar tools at other sites. By this method, the excavators dated the oldest layers of the site to the pre-pottery Neolithic A period, which stretches from around 10,000 to 8,800 BCE. The exact chronology of the different enclosures is more difficult to determine. Some of the walls plaster has allowed for carbon dating, but this can only establish when these walls were plastered last, and not when they were built. Samples of charcoal from between the outer walls of Enclosure C were radiocarbon dated to around 9200 BCE. Clay mortar recovered from Enclosure D was dated to about 9500 BCE, making the current archaeological consensus that the site is between 11,000 and 11,500 years old. Many of Gobekli Tepe's pillars, pillar bases, portholes, and gates are decorated with relief carvings of abstract symbols and a variety of animal motifs. Boars, aurochs, gazelle, wild ass, sheep, foxes, snakes, lions, lizards, scorpions, and many types of birds. At the time of the site's founding, the Urfa region was lush and forested, and could certainly have sustained this diversity of wildlife. Some enclosures have clearly anthropomorphic monoliths, with carvings of arms, hands, shoulders, elbows, a belt, and what has been determined to be a loincloth on Pillar 18 in Enclosure D. The carvings are believed to be totems, the animals as ancestor spirits who have taken animal form, and the T-shaped pillars as humanoid deities. The team has also suggested that the abundance of carved images, something shared amongst all pre-pottery Neolithic sites in Upper Mesopotamia, are part of a system of symbolic communication that preceded writing, but still allowed for a highly complicated mythology. The only human remains found at the site so far are several skull fragments with purpose-cut grooves in them. 
The poor condition of the skull fragments has made radiocarbon dating and DNA analysis impossible, but they're believed to be evidence of an unknown variant of an early Neolithic skull cult, which were known to have replastered and decorated human skulls. A small tablet with a carving of a flightless bird, possibly a great auk or a penguin, raises the possibility that the builders of the site had recently migrated from another region. All of the animal bones found at the site were clearly from wild animals, not domesticated ones, indicating that the builders did not keep livestock. Some of the most common bones at the site were those of hooded vultures and ravens, leading scholars to suggest that Gobekli Tepe could have been a site for sky burials. In a sky burial, the deceased is cut up and left in the mountains to be eaten by scavenging birds, which were believed to carry people's flesh up to the heavens. Jens Nothroff, an archaeologist at the site, has remarked on the frequency with which headless humans or severed heads appear at the site, often in combination with vultures. Daniel Stodeur, an archaeologist at the National Center for Scientific Research in France, has found similar symbols at contemporaneous sites just 80 kilometers away in Syria, suggesting that they were both established by the same culture. There are also several other sites with T-shaped pillars in the area, but none with pillars so large as Gobekli Tepe's. Manu Safade and Robert Schock have pointed out that the H on Pillar 18, bracketed by two semicircles, appears in the hieroglyphic language of the Bronze Age Luwians of Anatolia as the word for God. The same symbol appears on several other Luwian artifacts. In this language, an H alone meant gate. The Luwians also used currently untranslated symbols that resemble the T-shaped pillars of Gobekli Tepe. Safade and Shock concluded that the pillars were representations of a god that guarded entry to the afterlife. According to archaeologists Gilles Hackley and Avi Gopher, there are a number of important geometric relationships between the Layer 3 enclosures, including an exact equilateral triangle formed by the central pillars in enclosures B, C, and D. One intriguing feature of the site are the three handbags or purses lining the top of Pillar 43. Similar handbags can be seen at many ancient sites in Mesopotamia and the Americas, often depicted in the hands of gods. There is no consensus in mainstream academia regarding what the handbag represents, but some have said that it denotes a standard weight, or is a symbol for the seeds of knowledge. Researchers with the Super Brain Research Group, or SBRG, searched Gobekli Tepe for resonant structures. A little-known fact is that many types of rock actually ring out in a clear tone when struck or vibrated. Even when struck by hand, Pillar 18 resonated so strongly that researchers believed it must be hollow. The team believes that something underground had once vibrated these pillars to make them ring at certain tones. The team suggested that these tones may have been important to the site, noting that certain frequency ranges, even those that we can't hear, can have profound effects on our health and consciousness. Unfortunately, the team lost all access to the site after the death of Klaus Schmidt in 2014, and their research was suspended. Still other researchers, including Robert Schock, Julio Magli, and Andrew Collins, 
have explored astrological connections, and proposed that various pillars in the largest enclosures aligned with certain stars and constellations. According to our current understanding of history, the early Neolithic Age saw humans transition from nomadic hunter-gatherers to settled agriculturalists in a process referred to as the Neolithic Revolution. Only after this process were humans thought to build monumental stone structures, and specialize in certain forms of labor. The founders of Gobekli Tepe lived in largely unorganized societies, with minimal centralized leadership and no dedicated labor force. Before the excavation of Gobekli Tepe, a society like this was believed to be incapable of erecting such a complex. Most archaeologists and anthropologists have theorized that the site was built by hunter-gatherers in the earliest stages of their transition to agriculture. The carvings on the pillars are said to symbolize the builders' belief systems at the time of their transition to becoming a sedentary food-producing economy. According to Hackley and Gopher, the depiction of humans at the site marked a departure from the animal art of the previous Paleolithic, intimating a shift in the relationship between humans and nature. They argue that the builders of Gobekli Tepe wished to establish a new natural order with a strict hierarchy and a more divided society. Klaus Schmidt argued that the eventual burial of Gobekli Tepe marked the death of an old way of life and the birth of a settled civilization with new religious practices. In his words, when you have new gods, you have to get rid of the old ones. Several of those who worked at the site published a paper in 2009 that supported Jacques Covin's thesis that social systems change before, and not as a result of, the shift to agriculture. In other words, the worship of gods galvanized nomadic ancestor cults to build Gobekli Tepe. Construction and maintenance of this site drove its builders to seek more consistent access to food, so they started growing crops. The need for farm labor, in turn, led the residents to develop cults, rituals, and feast schedules, as well as processed foods and beer to keep the workers placated. In 2017, Martin Swetman and Dimitrios Sekritsis published a paper arguing that Pillar 43 in Enclosure D, better known as the Vulture Stone, memorializes the start of the Younger Dryas, a turbulent period of Earth history at the end of the last Ice Age. The headless human at the base of the pillar is said to represent catastrophe, and the animals each represent constellations, with the ball above the vulture's wing identifying the scene as the point at which the sun crossed Sagittarius. The last time the sun passed this point in the sky was around 10,950 BCE, the beginning of the Younger Dryas. The authors believe that the vulture stone is evidence in favor of the comet impact hypothesis, which holds that a large comet struck the glaciers at the end of the Ice Age, and flooded the world. Writer Graham Hancock has argued that there was a lost civilization at this time, destroyed in this event. Hancock has postulated that Gobekli Tepe was built by the survivors of this civilization as a means of preserving the knowledge and advances they had made. Hancock suggests that the handbags depicted at the site, and in the iconography of other civilization bringers of ancient mythology, represent the survivors of one civilization leading another from a state of ignorance. Schmidt himself recognized the significance of the site emerging at the end of the Younger Dryas. It seems likely that the construction of Gobekli Tepe was related to broader changes on the planet. 
Researchers are undecided if Gobekli Tepe is an early domestic settlement, a skull cult temple, a site for sky burials, an astronomical observatory, or something else entirely. The mystery of the site is shrouded by its staggeringly old age. More than 5,000 years have passed since the etching of the first clay tablets in Sumeria, and Gobekli Tepe was built another 6,000 years before that. Ultimately, it's a culture lost to us, and we may never know who erected those monumental pillars, or why. YouTube is hiding our videos now, and ad revenue is way down from what it was. Help us keep making these videos by pledging a monthly donation on Patreon, or sending a tip at buymeacoffee.com, or PayPal. Think Anomalous is created by Jason Charbonneau, researched by Van Hunt, music by Josh Chamberland.